You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Come, Lord Jesus, meet us in this place. Encounter us by your word. The word already read, Lord, and now the word proclaimed. May it be your words and not mine. And may we be ever changed by this encounter. Amen. Well, friends, I don't know if you've ever reflected much on your given name. If you've ever given much thought to why you are named what you are named. Of course, when we read the Old Testament, we see that the, the folks are acutely aware uh, that their names shape them. And often they're named uh, in accordance with who they will become. And on occasion, uh, they're named by who they already are. I think about the paradigm of this uh, in a Johnny Cash song, uh, A Boy Named Sue. Do you remember that number? And of course, his name, Sue, uh, shapes him for his whole life. And he begrudges his father for naming him that until he encounters his father and he realizes, Dad named me that to make me tough. Because I had to stand up for myself uh, my whole entire life. If you've been a parent, uh, you've probably toiled over uh, your children's names. And admittedly, in the modern world, we, we do think some about the meaning of names, but often we just kind of like the sound. And for, for Paige and me, that, that truly was the case in many ways, although uh, our son William seems to be fulfilling the prophecy of his name, because that boy has a strong will. <laughs> well, we come to uh, our reading here in Genesis this morning, and uh, we're thrust into the narrative uh, of Jacob's life. And so Jacob, Jacob's his name, uh, his given name from birth, and if you will remember, uh, pretty peculiar, uh, magnificent birth in many ways. Uh, he's a twin. His brother Esau emerges from the womb first, and who is right behind him holding on to the heel? It's Jacob. The supplanter is what his name means, uh, occasionally called the deceiver. And so like the boy named Sue, uh, this name follows him his whole life. And Jacob really leans into, uh, whether willingly or not, uh, this, this lifestyle, this identity of being a supplanter, a swindler, a deceiver. And by the time it's all said and done, I mean, Jacob has wronged and lied to uh, pretty much everyone in his family and his sphere of influence. And yet, uh, so for you and me, we look at Jacob, we think, this is the bad guy. Like, why are we rooting for Jacob? And yet God chose Jacob. God chose Jacob, not because of Jacob's uh, lying ways, not because of his swindling ways, but because simply he loves him and he made a promise to him. Just a few chapters before uh, our reading today, uh, of course, God encounters Jacob in a dream. And there he makes a promise to him. He, he clarifies the promise he already gave to Abraham and Isaac, which now Jacob carries. That he will be his God and he will be with him and he will return him to the land. And he won't let him go until he makes it to the land. He's not done with him. And so here we are in chapter 32 that Chris just read for us a few moments ago. And it's this, this pivotal moment in Jacob's life. And of course in scripture and throughout literature at large, there's always uh, this scene, not always, but often, uh, between dusk and dawn where things happen. Transformations occur. And here we see it on the night that Jacob goes. He's fleeing from his brother Esau. If you'll remember, uh, Esau, his twin, uh, by the way, they are as different as different can be. I mean, Esau is the rough and tough uh, type. He's the hunter chasing the game. And Jacob is the one in the kitchen with the ladies cooking. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's just who Jacob was. And so uh, throughout their, their life, of course, Jacob steals Esau's uh, blessing uh, that comes from being the firstborn, his birthright. 
And so uh, Esau, rightfully so, is enraged by this. And his last words to his brother were, I will find you and I will kill you. Kind of a Liam Neeson moment, if you remember that movie Taken. Uh, and so in Jacob's mind, I mean, this is, this is Esau's intent. He's going to find me and he's going to do what he said. He's going to kill me. And Jacob, being in the kitchen all his life and in the tent with his mother, uh, probably did not have the ability to stand up to his brother. I mean, uh, Esau probably had the muscles, uh, probably had the Chuck Norris look, and uh, Jacob was probably a, somewhat of a wimp. And yet, here he is on this night knowing that it's, it's possible and probable that he'll encounter perhaps his brother or perhaps one of the soldiers uh, sent by his brother, one of the uh, mercenaries, if you will. And so Jacob rises, he leaves uh, his family, he split them into two camps, and he's decided to go alone. He's gone alone, he's separate. And uh, after encountering God in chapter 28, perhaps this is a newfound faith uh, for Jacob. Maybe his faith uh, has been inspired that he can go and do this. And so he encounters a man. He encounters a man there at the river Jabbok. And the man and he uh, wrestle until daybreak. Now, of course, by the end of the passage, you and I learned this, this was an encounter with God. And, and Jacob's given a new name. And we'll discuss that in just a few moments. But can we just pause there for a moment and reflect on how peculiar this is? Now, for the Old Testament, it's not weird. But for you and me in the 21st century, I do not encourage you to go out to the streets of Birmingham and wrestle someone this night, uh, hoping that it's God who will bless you. I don't encourage that one bit. As exciting as that sounds, uh, and perhaps as faith-filled you, as you may be, I don't encourage that, and I don't endorse that from this lectern. It's a peculiar reading. I mean, he encounters this, this man. The text says man over and over and over again. It doesn't say angel, although later in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist will say uh, it's an angel. And again, those, those categories blend in the Old Testament. When Abraham deals uh, with the three men, one remains, uh, the three angels, one remains, and he's a man. Uh, God seems to be willing, uh, and not just willing, but able uh, to break the rules, if you will. If I set the rules, I mean, God and heaven are there, man and creation are here, uh, there's, no, there's no movement between. And yet we know we have a God who likes to meet us. We have a God who likes to condescend. And I don't mean that in a dirty way, just he loves to come down to us. And so he comes down to Jacob tonight. And you can imagine, put yourself in Jacob's shoe for just a moment. He's a man on the run, and he encounters this man at the river. For all he knows, I mean, this is the end for him. This is it. His whole life, he's been looking over his shoulder, wondering, when will I be found out? And here he is. He's been found out. God encounters him. And so throughout the text, we see over and over and over again, Jacob saying, tell me your name. Please tell me your name. Let me know who you are, and by golly, bless me. And the man says nothing to that effect. He never gives his name. This is so much like the life of faith, isn't it? I mean, you and I, we demand of God, give me an answer. Show me the way. Name yourself. And sometimes all we have is that silent answer in the middle of the night. Well, when it's all said and done, uh, the sun breaks and Jacob prevails. How this is, uh, I'll leave it up to your faith to determine. The text doesn't explicitly say, but it's clear to you and me that God allowed Jacob to win. If any of you have small children, you may wrestle at night. We love doing that in our house. And uh, I like to be pinned by my children and say, all right, you won. But I think we both know. We look into each other's eyes. We know. I let you win that one, buddy. <laughs> well, God seems to let Jacob win. And in this, he gives him a new name. 
This name that he had his whole life of being a liar and a cheater and a swindler and a supplanter. He gets a new name. And his name has to do with this striving with God and men. And yet he prevails. And this becomes a parable for the people of Israel. This is how the people, the Jewish people, and I'm not speaking as one. I'm no professional in that matter. But a people who are not proficient necessarily, not one of mastery. In fact, in Exodus, God says as much. He says, I didn't pick you because you had chariots and armies and riches. I picked you simply because I love you and I've chosen you. And so Israel takes on this name, the people. They're no longer uh, Jacob, but they are now a people who have striven with God and men and yet have prevailed. And you and I have been grafted into this faith. This is a life of faith. St. Paul says, through Christ we've been grafted in. So this is our story too. And it's not that we win because we're really good at life and we're strong and we know how to master everything. Uh, we prevail because God uh, has mercy. And in that striving, in that relationship, it's to whom we're connected. That's ultimately our strength. And so this morning you've been encountered. Maybe you're striving in your own life. Maybe you're struggling with your finances or your career or your family. And all those things are true, and they take up so much uh, mental and physical energy. But as we read this text, we realize we too are striving with God, and perhaps all along you've been um, sustained. Because on the other side, this uh, would-be foe is actually your friend who's strengthening you and carrying you through the darkest moments. God meets us in the middle of the night when we need him most. And perhaps it's not the way you or I would have planned it or scripted it. Again, I would not script or plan a wrestling match with God at night. And yet God chooses to meet Jacob and chooses to meet the people of Israel and chooses to meet you and me in those moments. And as a sign of that, we are ever changed. Jacob goes on uh, not uh, the same. He has a newfound faith in God, perhaps, but also physically he's limping because his hip has been maimed and injured. You and I carry scars. You and I carry uh, the signs of battle in our own lives. And perhaps it's a continual uh, reminder uh, that God sustain us, sustains us, and even in our wounds, uh, he holds us. And we remember the encounter because of it. We stop not with our wounds, but we look to the one who indeed was wounded for you and for me. You and I carry wounds in this life, but it's in Jesus' wounds that we find health and salvation and wholeness. I always love that account, and I often preach from uh, the post-resurrection account when Jesus comes with nail-scarred hands and stripes and uh, a hole in his side. He could have come back any way he wanted. He could have come back whole. He could have come back leaner and uh, younger, but he chooses to come back in that broken body. as a continual sign that he has held you and me in his wounds. In those infinite wounds of Christ, you and I are made whole. So this morning, you've been encountered, dear friends, And maybe you're struggling to say, God, is this you? God, is this you? And maybe he's not saying it point blank to you in the way that you and I want to hear. But you've been changed. You've been grafted into this same faith. And the one with whom you've been struggling has been God all along. Not as a foe, but as a friend who changes you even now. And points the way to the cross where you are ever changed because of his son, Jesus Christ. The most moving part of this whole uh, narrative is not actually in our passage, but it's in the next chapter. Jacob's been changed. He's now uh, perhaps on some level repentant. And he goes and he meets his brother. 
And Esau comes not with a, a fist or a knife, but instead he comes and embraces his brother. He falls on his neck and kisses him, and they weep together. This is the fruit of the gospel. When we encounter God, we're ever changed. We only see that Jacob uh, had an encounter with God, uh, but I think Esau, perhaps, maybe God dealt with him too, perhaps in a dream, perhaps in another wrestling match elsewhere. But the fruit of the gospel is you and I no longer have to strive to succeed. Our relationship with God is our health and our success. And then by that, we have the ability to forgive and be forgiven with fellow man and with God himself. So this morning, as we continue to worship, we give thanks that God chooses to never let us go. And even in our faithlessness, even in our own uh, insufficiencies, God holds us in relationship. And yes, sometimes it's tumultuous. Yes, sometimes we strive. The life of prayer is this life of striving, saying, God, when will you? God, when will you? And his timing is never clear. We, we never quite understand why God does the way he, he, uh, he does it. And yet we, we hope, and our hope is found secure because of this continual relationship, of this covenant God who chooses never to break his promise for you and for me. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.